0: If you turn with me to the passage in which today's teaching is based, it comes from Genesis chapter 15, and I'll be reading also uh, from page 8 in your bulletins. uh, The same passage is printed there. Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, "O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and darkness had fallen a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates the land of the Kenites the Kenizzites Cadmonites Hittites Perizzites Rephaites Amorites Canaanites Girgashites and Jebusites And this is God's word it's been a while, it's been a while since I've been up here, so uh, you're going to have to bear with me a little bit, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of context on this passage. Right? If you're newer or visiting, um, we've been looking at the book of Genesis, and Genesis is a book about beginnings, so you see the first man and the first woman, you see the first law, the first set of ordinances of God, the first marriage, the first children, the first sin, the first murder. And so Genesis answers the question, how did we get here? This world is so broken. How did the world become so broken? And two, what did God do to redeem the world? In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. Abram or Abraham. Uh, Who was Abram? God appeared to Abram, and he promised that he would redeem the world through one of Abram's sons, through one of Abram's descendants. And so Abram was called out of just about every context. He was called out of his social context, his economic context. He was a a wealthy man. He was called out of that context. He was called out of his culture. He was called out of his religious context of idol worshipers. And in Genesis 12, God came to Abram and he said, I want you to get out. I want you to leave your country. Now in ancient times, your people, your tribe, your family, that local context, that was your life. God says, go. I want you to leave. To where? Trust me. In Genesis chapters 12 and 13, Abram arrives to Canaan, and God says, this is your land. I want you to stay. First, I want you to leave. Now, I want you to stay. Why here? I mean, just over there, the land seems more plentiful. There are greater options. Just trust me. Later, in Genesis 17, God tells Abram, I'm going to promise you a son. What? Abram is near 100 years old. Sarai is near 90 years old. God says, I want you to wait longer. I want you to wait. How long? I want you to leave. I want you to stay. I want you to wait. Trust me. Genesis chapter 22, Abram has a son. God says, I want you to offer up your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. Why? After all these years, that promise, why? Trust me. Sometimes God tells us to leave. Sometimes God tells us to stay. Sometimes God tells us to wait. Sometimes God tells us to surrender, to sacrifice. It's what it means to trust God. And this text shows us, uh, you know, as we go into it, what it means to trust God. When you trust God, you live a big life. And in each of these cases, Abraham trusts. Abraham believes, and he has faith. How can we live like this? Because the Bible says that's the answer, faith. Believe. The text here says that God credited that faith. God credited that belief to him as righteousness. He was approved and shown favor because of that. Beyond the circumstances, how can we live a life trusting God? How can we live a big life? Today, uh, this text, it's a special passage. It's one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in all the Bible, and we're going to look into two things. One our barriers, Abram's barriers, which are really our barriers for trusting God, and then two, uh, what God does about it, how he clears away those barriers, God's faithfulness, the barriers to trusting God, and then two, God's faithfulness in clearing away those barriers for us. First, we're going to look at the barriers. Just one chapter prior, Abram's nephew Lot was rescued from tribal lords. It was a violent time in that area. Uh, there are lots of reasons to fear in, those, in that time. And it's in this context that we come into chapter 15. God assures Abram. He begins with what? Do not be afraid. Lot was just rescued from this dangerous place, these dangerous people. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your very great reward, he says. Now, there are two barriers always in trusting God. Two barriers trusting anyone for that matter. God says, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. In other words, I am good for it. I am for you, and I will always be for you. But Abram responds, verse 2, okay, but how can I know for sure? What do you see here? In other words, Abram's got doubts. Abram is skeptical. He's got doubts. He's got anxieties. He's got questions. How do I know if you're actually going to pull through? I mean, I still don't have a son. You promised me a son. I'm still childless. And that's the first problem we see. That's the first barrier. Will God truly be good for it? Will he really pull through for me? Will he really live up to his promises? And so verses 4 to 6, God says, he reiterates his promise. I will give you a son. In fact, you will have many offspring, he says. God reminds Abram of his promise, his covenant. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is a love-binding promise. A covenant is a life-binding promise. Even greater than just a contract, a contract is a form of covenant, but this is a life-binding contract, a love-binding contract. What that means is that God is putting his name his credibility when you sign a contract you're putting your name literally on the dotted line. God is putting his name on the line. God is putting his credibility on the line. But it's a it's a life-binding contract. By signing or entering to this type of contract, God is saying I am putting my life on the line. And verse 6 he says it says Abram believed him. Abram trusted God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram doubts God promises, God gives him his word, puts his life, his name on the line. Abram trusts. When you have doubts, dialogue like this, and then there's promises made, and then there's trust, it's a relationship. You have a relationship. But Abram still has doubts, he still has fears. There are different doubts. And here you see the second barrier uh, in this, in trusting God and living a big life. Verse 7, God says, I'm also going to give you land. All this land, I'm going to give it to you. Abram responds, verse 8. How will I know that I can gain this? How will I know that I can earn this? In other words, I'm not sure if I can pull through. I'm not sure if I can pull this off. I'm not sure if I'm good for it. The two barriers that we see are what? Verses 1 to 6, I'm not sure if you can pull through. I'm not sure if you're really for me. I see stuff happening in my life all the time. I'm not sure if you're really for me. But the other part of it is, I'm not sure if I'm good for it. I'm not sure if I can live up to these promises. What you see here in this passage, just as we enter in, it's beautiful. One, how's God's disposition here? He's reasoning with Abram. He's talking with Abram. And all he does, through every doubt, through all of Abram's problems, his questions, his doubting here, God just gives him his word. God just promises. He speaks to Abram through his word, and he speaks to you through his word, through his promises, through his word, the Bible. Abram's got questions. Abram's got doubts. God answers and comforts Abram through his word. The second thing we see here that's beautiful, God comes to Abram, and he says, I am the Lord. And I promise this, and I promise this. And Abram essentially says, I don't believe you. I'm doubting here. I'm, I'm struggling with this, God. I'm struggling with trusting this. Abram's got the audacity to question God, the king of the universe, the creator of all things. But God doesn't say, who are you to trust me? You're the sinner. Just a couple chapters ago, I rescued you. Just a couple chapters ago, you were lying. You sold your wife out. And yet I rescued you. Who are you to doubt me? He could have easily said that. I'm the Lord, the creator. My word is law. What is your word good for? He could have easily said that. Right? Abram's blind. He's fearful. God gives him tremendous clarity. God is incredibly faithful. He's open to your doubts. All while he's reasoning with Abram. He's open to your skepticism. He's open to your doubts. On one hand, that means there's freedom to doubt. There's tremendous freedom to doubt. On the other hand, God says, but I'm not going to leave you alone in your doubts. I'm going to challenge you to keep working out your doubts. He doesn't just act. He promises, and he wants you to work it out. By the way, at Metro, there are lots of people here, lots of people here with doubts, skepticism. Uh, You know, I want to assure you, you have the time and the space here at this church the time and the space to, to really work out those doubts and those fears, those anxieties. And you're going to find that there are lots of stories here, people, lots of people here in this church, stories of struggling and doubts and in the process finding new life here. God shows us that it's safe to doubt. Look at the humility of God. Look at the grace of God here. Look at the gentleness of God. Look at the, the comforting, promising word of God, the assurance of God here. That's the first point, the barriers. Now, the second point here is what does God do to clear away these barriers? What is he, what, where is this faithfulness here? What does God do? How does he answer? Abram says, verses 1 to 8, it's hard to trust you. I'm having a tough time trusting you. In fact, I can't even trust myself. I'm not sure if I can live up to these promises. We live in a generation today where people don't like to make promises because they know they're going to break them. And so they just don't make them. They're afraid to make them. They don't, they're afraid to commit. They're afraid. And so we have a lot of what they call the apocalyptic lifestyle. The world's going to come to an end. What's the point of making a promise? What's, what are we good for here? And so they just kind of, people kind of live very reckless lives and their scholars and commentators are all through society are commentating on the impact that that has had in the brokenness of the world all the more today in an age of technological and educational advancement far greater than the rest of the history of the world has seen to date. And yet the world is more and more broken than ever. God responds in verse 9. Remember, Abram says, how can I trust you? how can I trust me? God says, get these animals. And you don't, and all of a sudden, Abram just kind of knows what to do. Abram takes these animals and he cuts them in half from head to toe. He cuts them in half and he arranges them opposite each other. It almost creates like an aisle. Imagine animals here, animals here. He creates kind of an aisle here, large enough, wide enough that you could walk through. Now we look at that and we ask, What's really going on here? I don't get what's going on here. But Abram immediately knew because Abram, his culture, Abram was a merchant, and this is a merchant culture. Abram, in his culture, in his career path, he knew in this moment that God was entering into that covenant in a visible way with him. This is what you call a covenant ratification ceremony. Now, what is that? Today, in our literate culture, in our literate culture, when you make a contract, when you sign a lease, when you, when you buy a car, you write things down. It's a literate culture, so everything's written down. This is how you hold each other accountable. You got bad memories, right? You got lots of stuff going on in our lives, so you basically write everything down. You're given a summary of everything that you're binding your, yourself to. You are putting your credibility and your name and your wealth on the line. The greater the contract, the greater the commitment. And you're signing away. Both parties sign in the face of witnesses. Now, every modern covenant is handled this way. When you enter into a marriage, a marriage is more than just a contract. It is a covenant. The couple signs this document in the presence of witnesses. Basically, what I do is I sign, and then the couples come, and they seal it with their sin. It's a life-binding, love-binding contract. And basically, what you're saying is, I am promising to be faithful to you before these witnesses... I'm promising to be faithful. Otherwise, let there be disastrous consequences in my life. Now, that's a literate culture. In a preliterate culture, you didn't write anything down. You spoke it, and you acted it out. It was an oral culture. There's a professor by the name of George Mendenhall. He's a professor of the University of Michigan. Um, he was an expert, the foremost expert in Near East ancient contracts, and basically, uh, he wrote in a, v- a very important book. It's not, not very important to us here today, but it's called The Law and Covenant in Israel and the Ancient Near East. And uh, basically, what Mendenhall did was he realized he saw language in the biblical passages, such as this passage, such as the passage in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, God's language with Moses, God's language with Abram here. He saw that they're very similar, the language is very similar to ancient Near Eastern contracts that existed in the day. He was a scholar in those contracts. And he said, this language is very, very similar. What they did here was very, very similar. It's contractual language. In those days, you spoke a contract, and then you acted out the consequences of breaking that contract, breaking the covenant. It was a curse. And so, in other words, the way you made a contract back then, like Abram, what you would do is you would take these animals... You would cut them in half from head to toe. You would arrange them on the side, create this kind of aisle that you can walk through. And essentially, you would walk through the aisle reciting this contract, your end of the contract. That's what you would recite. In fact, a lot of our weddings today, that's why you have two sides, that's why you have the aisle, that's why you have witnesses, that's why you have vows that are made, it's still spoken, right? Except we seal it these days with a marriage license, right, with a contract right at the end, right? But in those ancient times, you walked down that aisle and you recited the stipulations and you recited the curses that came with breaking a contract like that. So the contract implies that if you do not live up to these terms, may I become like these animals that that have been cut in half. May I be cut off, may I be ripped apart, torn to shreds, torn asunder if I do not obey. That's covenant language. Very, very serious. And so what Abram thought was that God was asking him to do, what he was asking him to do was to set up this type of contract so that Abram would have to walk through it. But this is quintessentially how we deal right, with uh, people who wrong us, people who owe us. When you, you, know, you make a deal and you say, you're going to pay me back. I want you to walk down this aisle right, and recite what you're going to do. I want to hear it, and I want to hear your promises, and I want you to understand the consequence of not following through. Right? That's how we deal with one another when somebody owes us. That's how we deal with one another when somebody wrongs us right? It's also how we deal with God. We say, you failed me. Now, I want you to promise that you will never do this again, because if you do, I will cut you out of my life, right? When we fail God, what do we say? I failed. This shame. I will never do it again. I deserve to be cut out of your life. Now, if that's what God intended for Abram, it wouldn't have solved any of Abram's problems, right? Because Abram already knew. He already knew he couldn't pull through. So to walk down and out and make this kind of promise to God, it would have destroyed him. He knew that was his problem. How can I pull through? This is precisely one of Abram's primary doubts. But that's not exactly what happens here. What happens here is probably one of the most beautiful and amazing things, most remarkable things that we could see in the Bible. It should change anyone's view of God. I don't know what you've heard before you came into this building about God. But if this doesn't shape and change the way you view God, I don't know what will. Okay? What happens here is verse 12, the sun sets, and Abram falls asleep. But it's not a normal sleep. The text says it's a deep sleep and a dreadful darkness. In other words, there was, while Abram, Abram's on the ground. He's struggling with his doubts. He's struggling with God. Can God pull through for me? But more importantly, from his perspective, how can I live up to any of God's promises, my promises to God? And he can't make sense of it. He's fallen to the ground. And it's troubled, and he's choking because it says there's this thick terror, this dreadful darkness that comes over him. In other words, along with the physical darkness, because it was nighttime, there was this dreadful spiritual terror that came upon Abram. There was this thick smoke physically. He can't breathe. He's choking and he's struggling with God. Outwardly, he's choking. Outwardly, he's blind. It's dark. Inwardly, he's choking spiritually. And it throws him to the ground. And there's this terror because he's alone. And he's struggling with God. And he's struggling with himself. And he's doubting God. And he's doubting himself. And he's choking on this. And then God appears. Tremendous dread. God appears. And God promises Abram again. God establishes this covenant with Abram. Abram is struggling with the reality of God, the significance of God, the heavy weight of God, God's presence in his life. Is God really there? Is God really for me? I mean, he has appeared. Is he really for me? Can I keep his promise? Am I good for it? But then, verse 17, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch passes through the pieces. Commentators, they're trying to explain this. They, say it's a, they translate this as a billowing smoke and a blazing lightning like a torch, a torch that's like a lightning. Think about it. When the lightning comes, it just, boom, it just comes and goes, right? But this is a blazing torch. It's a torch that comes, stays, and moves through the pieces. That's what's happening. It's this continuous flash that holds its form. And it's because it looks like lightning, but it's not lightning. These are emblems of God's immediate physical presence, his glory Shekinah presence. This is the real reality of God. It's what we call theophany. This is the real reality of God. The smoke, the blaze, it's the same thing that appeared at the burning bush. It's the same when God appeared to Moses. It's the same thing that appeared on Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the law, when God appears. Abram knew that he's not just reiterating his promise. It's not just words. God is making a life binding oath and it's real. And when he walked through the pieces, what God is saying is, Abram, I am putting my life, my reputation, my name, my character on the line. If I don't live up to this oath, may I become like these animals, split in half, cut up, torn apart, ripped to shreds, torn asunder. May I be cut off from the living. May I experience hell. May I experience wrath which is absolutely remarkable on several levels why one in ancient contracts the elder as much you see this a lot in asian culture the elder is never wrong in the asian culture in the in the in the eastern culture the elder person always holds the position of right first no matter how wrong they may be and so the king would never walk it would be undignified for a king to walk through those pieces this is the king I don't have to walk through to prove myself to you. But here, God walks through. The stronger, the elder. In the ancient times, the inferior person always walked through. They're the ones that we should doubt. They're weaker. They're the ones that are doubting. They're the ones who are afraid, unsure of themselves. But here, God the king, God the sovereign, God the ruler, God the stronger, God the elder, God the eternal walks through. Look at the humility of God. Look at the faithfulness of God, the gentleness of God, the patience of God, the love of God. And what he's saying is, Abram, if I don't deliver on these promises, may my immortality become mortal. May my infiniteness become finite. May my immutability, my unchangeability become changeable, mutable. May I be cut off. May I be ripped apart, torn to shreds. May I die. This and only this will clear away that first barrier of trusting God, living a big life. Will God really pull through for me? For Abram, it's the only thing. God's promise, God's real presence in real promise through real covenant relationship with Abram. How do I know that God will pull through? God says, because I am putting my life on the line. You can trust God. You can trust God at his word. That's not it. God passes through the pieces and he makes this promise, verse 17. Now, verse 18, the covenant's complete. It's done. It's over. Passage is pretty much coming to an end. Abram never walks through the pieces himself, and this addresses the second barrier that we have. I don't know if I can pull through. This addresses the second barrier of trusting God, living a big life, and what is that? On one hand, God is saying, if you don't pull through, you deserve to be cursed. You deserve to be torn asunder. You deserve to be cut off, but only God walks through. What God is saying is, I will absorb all the risk myself. I will take all the risk. You are a cautionary tale, but I will absorb all the risk on your behalf. God's saying, even if you, Abram, even if you do not pull through, I will still bless you. I will pay the penalty if you fail. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody wrongs you. If you've ever been wronged before in your life, you've heard me say this. If you've ever been wronged in your life, you can't just be like, "Ah, that's all good. You can't do. No one ever truly says that, because the deeper the hurt, the deeper the penalty, the deeper the debt that you feel they owe you. God is saying, "You will fail, I will pay the penalty. If I'm not faithful to the promise, I will pay the penalty. But if you are not faithful to the promise, I will pay the penalty. I will still pay it. In other words, what is grace? What is the Christian life? Growing up, I was told, well, Christian life, you gotta pray hard. You gotta go to church. You gotta do all these good things. In fact, if you don't, uh, if, if you have trials in your life, then you gotta get down and you gotta pray even harder. It's because you haven't prayed hard enough. And here in this passage, it blows apart that view. Your faithfulness is not even enough. Your faithfulness can easily become a works to earn righteousness. But we see that Abram trusted God and God credited to him as righteousness. Your faithfulness has nothing to do with the blessing. It's all by grace and grace alone. It's unconditional. There are no strings attached. There are no conditions. That is full assurance. That is full comfort. That is peace. Abram probably, he's probably perplexed. How is this possible? I mean, how is this actually possible? God can't just ignore my, faithful, my unfaithfulness. God is a just God. What about that part of it? What about that part of his character? God is just. How can he just let it go? In other words, if he does, he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't truly be just. He must have been perplexed. And although Abram may have been perplexed, we don't have to be because we know the entire story. We need the full story to the end because centuries later, The immortal did become mortal. The infinite did become finite. Because the high king of the universe, this is Advent, right? The high king became a baby. That means the high king became vulnerable, murderable, killable. God literally put his life on the line. And when Jesus Christ, the son of God, grew up at Gethsemane, towards the end of his life, Jesus Christ is where? He's in the darkness. Just like Abram, he's alone in the garden. And he's struggling with this promise that God made to redeem the world. Because at Gethsemane, Jesus says what? I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Why? What he's saying is, I'm overwhelmed. I'm choking right now with sorrow. I'm dying here, and I'm not even dead yet. Because Jesus saw a glimpse of the suffering that he would experience on the cross. And it wasn't just the physical suffering that he was talking about. He was talking about the weight of God's presence, the wrath of God being poured out on him on the cross and God would separate from him. And he's on the ground and he's suffering because of God's presence in his life. And he's suffering because of the promise the terror of the wrath of God had begun and it's beginning to fall on him and Jesus is struggling with this weight. He's struggling with the heavy significance of the glory of God. He's struggling with the terror of God's wrath and so much so that he says what? Let this cup pass from me. The cup that he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath. Jesus is struggling with the wrath of God. He says, he says let this cup pass from me but not my will, yours be done. In other words, what he's saying is Your will, you are good for it. I know. You're good for it, God. And I'm good for it. May it be done. I will fulfill that promise. Not at the risk of my life. I'm not just going to put my life on the line. I will pay with my life on the line. I will pay at the cost of my life. I'm going to go all the way to fulfill it. And so in Mark chapter 15, Jesus Christ is on the cross and it says what? Darkness is over the land. Jesus Christ now is experiencing the ultimate darkness. The real ultimate terror is now coming on to Jesus. The real reality of God. The heavy weight of the wrath of God as the penalty for our sins. And Jesus Christ cries out of that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's saying here, Abram is experienced, he experienced the terror of God's presence. But now, you know, that, that blazing fire, that blazing torch, that became his comfort. And that blazing torch becomes our comfort because on the cross, Jesus Christ on the cross experiences the ultimate terror of God's absence. The blazing fire of the wrath of God just pelting him, pouring out on him. Jesus Christ is struggling with the weight of God. He's choking, literally he's choking on the cross and he's dying. Jesus Christ, the greater Abram, perfectly obeyed, perfectly fulfilled every aspect of the covenant that God had made with his people. He went all the way, and yet he experiences, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is my immortality has now become mortal. My infiniteness has become finite, and although I delivered on every promise, my body and my soul are being torn apart Ripped asunder, torn asunder. I've been cut up and cut out, left for dead. I've been torn to pieces. And my heart has been ripped apart because God has abandoned me. Literally the Trinity falling apart on the cross. And God being absent, that's what hell is. Hell is to experience the absence of God. Jesus Christ on the cross experiencing the full weight of hell separated from God to the end, to the end. Jesus Christ fulfilled every aspect of the covenant, every aspect of the promise, and every aspect of the curse. Why? So that the justice of God, he's going to uphold the justice of God. It will be satisfied. While the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, the promise of God will be satisfied. Jesus Christ is overwhelmed by the justice of God so that we could be overwhelmed by the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Jesus Christ, his life was ripped apart so that our lives could be made whole. Isn't he trustworthy? Is God faithful? Are you in darkness? First of all, there's a period of time when everybody falls into a deep darkness. We're all struggling with God. If something happens in your life. It could be something small, depending on where you are. And it's not just about small and large. It's where you are right now in life. Is God s- faithful? That question of God's faithfulness, that question of your inability. Are you struggling with God? Are you struggling with His promises? This is the person right now struggling with the promise of God's provision. I want you to look to that promise. This is that person struggling with the loneliness, being alone. It is one of the worst experiences in life. I want you to experience and know the presence, the promise of the presence of God in your life. This is that person struggling with illness, physical brokenness. Just there's nothing that makes you feel more helpless than that. I want you to look to the cross and see a God that has been nailed to the cross. There's nothing more helpless than that. Cosmically abandoned by God. Some of us struggle with betrayal. Jesus Christ cosmically abandoned by God. Betrayed by all of his friends. Betrayed by all of his people. Look at the faithfulness of God. Deep longings, losses, incremental losses in our lives. Look, I'm going to make this real. My wife and I, for about three or four years, we were struggling to have kids. Between all the times that we had miscarried, you probably have lost count because I've shared it so many times. We had seven children. There are seven children that we have not met here on earth that we hope to meet someday in heaven. You want to talk about loss? Loss. Every one of us, when you go through that incrementally, you are going to struggle with the faithfulness of God. Not, there are moments when you struggle with the promise. Is God faithful in moments like that? I mean, I want to serve God. I want to love God. I gave my life to ministry. And yet, is God faithful? Yeah, you're going to struggle with that. You're going to struggle with whether or not God can provide. And yet in his wisdom, because you know he can, and yet in his wisdom, he has chosen not to. Is he faithful? And yet God says, you can trust him at his word. Is God faithful? Look at the cross. You want to talk about losing children? Watching your son that you have sacrificed and offered up and letting him go. You want to talk about God's faithfulness? No one understands loss and pain and suffering. Like Jesus Christ. No one understands loss and pain and suffering like God, our Father. Out of His love, for, He chose to for us. He chose to. God put His name, God put His life on the line so that you can trust God at His Word and live a big life. Go to the Lord, go to the Father with your doubts. You can go to God with your doubts. He will reason with you. He is comforting. He is faithful. He is gentle. He is gracious. In the, Old, in the New Testament, Jesus says, believe. And that man says, help me in my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Go to him with that. Experience that great assurance of the gospel And then you'll hear, you know, those promising words of Hebrews chapter 6, that when God made a promise to Abram, he confirmed it with an oath. We have this oath, that same promise, fulfilled in Christ. We have this oath as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. It will hold you fast through every storm. It will hold you. You experience a terror in your life, it will hold you fast in that terror. You experience a loss in your life, it will hold you fast in that loss. You're experiencing loneliness in your life, it will hold you fast in that loneliness. You experience fear of losing provision in your life, it will hold you fast in that. Every time you look at the cross, remember that God is faithful and good. Trust him at his word. Let's pray together.